starting in seventh grade, I became obsessed with how I looked, which I don't think is an uncommon age for that to happen. You know, you, you're going through puberty, you start noticing other people are attractive for the first time kind of in your life, and you want to be attractive also to those people. Um, that was also the time of my life when I hit my one and only growth spurt. In fifth grade, I was the shortest, chubbiest kid in class, and then um, by the time I got to eighth grade, I was this, haven't been this tall since I was in eighth grade, and so in seventh grade, I was kind of in the middle of that. I was starting to slim out a little bit. Um, it was kind of the first time in my life where I decided what I was going to look like, you know, you know, when you're a kid, your mom parts your hair on the side and gets you this, she decides what kind of haircuts you get and all that stuff, but I started deciding that I was going to grow my hair out and I was going to make it look like, uh, I wanted it to look like Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World, which means nothing to a lot of you, but to some of you are like, oh yeah, that was the height of cool back in the uh, late 90s, okay, so that's what I wanted to look like, and for the first time in my life, girls noticed me. And noticing that I was being noticed made me be obsessed with what they were noticing. I wanted, to dis- I wanted to look good. I wanted to come across in a certain way. And I was obsessed with how other people thought about me and what they thought I looked like and, and all that stuff. And, and, you know, it was also the time of life I started wanting to be closer to girls. And so that other things started to come into my obsession, like my breath. I wanted my breath to be nice. And so I did, like some stuff that most junior hires don't do. I gave up eating things like Cool Ranch Doritos because I thought, they're good, but girls are better. So I'm going to choose girls. And so um, I didn't eat those anymore. Um, When I got into high school, I started working out, um, which you think, you're not really that big. That's okay. I was like, I literally was a stick man. Like, if you that's what I looked like in eighth grade um, because between eighth grade or fifth grade and eighth grade in that growth spurt, I grew like two feet, but I didn't gain a pound. And so when I got into high school, I started working out and I got, I turned into a normal person. Like, I didn't get bulky or huge or anything, but I got more defined muscles started showing, you know, and you start flexing in the mirror and things and, and, you know, and which by the way, I know some of you have been caught flexing in the mirror, and isn't that the worst? Like, there's no coming back from that. It's just like, yep, I was looking at me. I was look, thinking about how good I looked. That's all it was. If you've ever, and some of you wives, you're already, you caught your husband sucking in the gut and, like, puffing out the chest. Like, we've all, some of us have been there, and there's no recovering from that. But, but that's pretty much how I live my life, from late junior high through high school into college, just being obsessed with how I looked and, <coughs> and liking what I saw in the mirror, you know, and then, and then uh, in college, I started to lose my hair, and I always thought I, my hair was good, you know, because I had that Sean Hunter thing going on for a while, and then, you know, it kind of went from there in high school, and I tried to stay with what I thought looked good, but then, man, when I started losing my hair, man, that made me freak out. I just, like, I couldn't handle that, because, you know, like, I knew I was going to lose my hair just by from my dad and my brother, you know, but it I just started real a lot earlier than I would have liked. Let me just say it that way. And so as my hair started uh, losing it, I thought I was obsessed before. Uh, I was super obsessed then. Then I thought, well, I'll grow it long, and then I'll cut it short, and I'll, do, I'll put certain products in it, anything that might help me hide the fact that I'm turning into a monster, you know. And so I was so over-the-top obsessed with it um, when I had, uh, I had a couple friends who liked to harass me about it. And, I mean, I was so sensitive. It just made me so mad. There was one time I remember I was sitting on the couch watching a movie with Abby in, like, the kind of the common room of her dorm, and one of my friends, Eric, came up and said something about, oh, you're missing a little hair in there. 
I just wanted to get up and punch him straight in the face. And he was one of my best friends in the world at the time, but man, I wanted to lay him out. It was just like, how dare you? Don't draw attention to the thing I'm most weak and fragile about, you know? And so over the course of a few years, my hair kept getting thinner and thinner, and, and it consumed my thoughts and filled me with anxiety and sadness. And then I spent a few years going through the seven stages of grief over and over again. And then finally, I bit the bullet and I shaved my head. And something magical happened. I, for the first time in my life, didn't have to worry about my hair anymore. For the first time, I guess not in my life, but in years, I didn't have to worry about my hair anymore. Because, guess what? The wind can't mess this up. <laughs> um, it can't look any dumber than it already does. Uh, I don't have to look in the mirror every time I pass a mirror. Why? Because this don't change a lot over the course of the day. So I, I didn't have to check to make sure everything was still where it was supposed to be, right? I could get past all of that. I don't have to hide anything because the cat's out of the bag, you know, all that. And so I could be free of that. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, what was happening, but it was something significant. This, the first time in my life, at least in this one area, I was free of myself. Or maybe a better way to say it, I was granted the gift of self-forgetfulness. Because when there's an area of your life when you can't stop thinking about you, you are missing the world around you. You are missing the people around you. You are missing the God that wants to work in your life and through your life because all you can see and think about is you. And as weird as it is, it's a miserable existence. When you can't get past yourself, it is a miserable place to be. It is a distracting way to live your life. And there is a better way to live your life. And as dumb as it is, when my hair went, that ended up being the greatest gift that God could have ever given to me. I say this all the time, but I wouldn't get my hair back if you could magically go poof and ha make me have a head of hair. I wouldn't take it. In fact, I'd, rather, I'd like to get like electrolysis so I don't even have to shave my head anymore. Like I want less hair than I have now. I wouldn't take it back because I was, for the first time, I've gotten to be free of me. And so that's what this series is going to be about, the freedom that comes when you stop being so hung up on yourself. And I, I can almost guarantee that all of us suffer from this a little bit. Every one of us has this tendency to focus more on ourselves than we should. And it'll show up in a lot of different ways in your life. Um, it could be how you appear to other people. We all get kind of hung up on that sometimes, and so you worry about the money coming in because you want your house to look a certain way and your yard to be particularly manicured, and you want the car to have a certain look in your driveway. And you, you, don't, you wouldn't say this, but it, it's extra points if it's a nicer car than, than it's in the driveway across the street, you know? And when your neighbor gets a really nice newer car, there's something inside of you that's like, Man, now my car's not as cool as it was because he got a nicer car. You know, there's something inside of you, and you wouldn't say that, and you wouldn't go, like, cuss him out for getting a new car, but there's still that thing inside of you that gets a little jealous and a little bummed out that they have something nicer than what you have. Uh, maybe it's your looks. Whether you think, I'm so good looking. Whether you're the one getting caught flexing in the mirror all the time because you just can't stop looking at the goods or whatever. Or maybe it's the opposite and you just are unhappy with the way you look and you think, man, my hair's not where it used to be. My body's not magazine ready. My skin's not perfect. And, and you, you can't stop thinking about how you're not what you want to be. It's still being self-focused. This idea of being self-obsessed, self-absorbed, it'll show up in so many places in your life that you don't even realize for instance, if you struggle with anger, and by struggle with anger, I mean if you get 
decently angry at least once a day about something, that's what I would say you're struggling with anger um, to, to a certain extent. Um, if you struggle with anger, chances are you're not getting mad because things are going wrong in your life and people are wronging you. Most of the time we get angry, it's because we're like little kids and we're not getting our way. Have you ever thought about that? Most of the time, you get angry. If you could stop and put your emotions off to the side and logically think about it, you're not mad because somebody's mistreating you or doing you wrong. You're mad because you didn't get your way. And you don't stomp your feet, hopefully, but, but, but for real. Like, that's why we get mad. And so you get mad and you yell at your spouse because they didn't subscribe to your precise particular plan of how you're going to spend your money. And you yell at your kids, not because they were doing anything wrong, but because they were kids. And they interrupted your day. How dare they? That's what kids do. They interrupt everything. That's what they do. And so you get mad because people get in your way of what you ideally wanted to happen. That's why, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that's why you, you know, Honk the horn and give the finger to the guy who stood still for two seconds at the green light. Give it a second. You know what you're going to do with that two seconds? Nothing. Okay, so just, but why were you mad? Were they wrong? Were they being immoral? No. You know what I do now that I've had kids? Light turns green. I sit there and wait to make sure some lunatic's not going to go, bam, run the red light. Because I'm paranoid and I think about that every time. So you honk and give me the finger all you want. I don't care. I don't care. I got kids in my car, man. I'm going to take care of them. Now, typically when you say things like self-absorbed, self-obsessed, self-focused, the word that comes to mind for us is pride. We think of somebody who thinks they're awesome, somebody who loves themselves. Now, let me say, when I say pride, okay, I don't mean he takes pride in his work. I don't mean she was proud of her daughter. We know that that's, that's a different thing. That's, that's a, a, a sense of excitement over doing something well in your life. I don't mean somebody, uh, I don't mean like it's not bad to take pride in your kid when they work hard and accomplish something. What I mean by pride is you overvalue yourself and you spend an unreasonable amount of time thinking about yourself. That's pride. And we know that that's bad. Almost everybody knows that that nasty kind of pride is nasty. We don't have to explain that because most of us have met somebody who was so unpleasant and off-putting to be around, and it's because you know, man, they love themselves. They can't stop talking about how great they are. Oh my gosh, boy, there's nobody in their eyes more beautiful than themselves. We've all met somebody like that, and so we know that that kind of pride is bad. And you know what? That's been true historically speaking. Up until about 150, 200 years ago, almost every culture that's ever existed has seen pride as the main cause of all evil in society, or at least the really big evils in society. You know, why are people cruel? Why are people abusive? Well, it's because they think they're great, other people are lesser, and so if everybody else is kind of ants in comparison, they can do whatever they want to ants because they're prideful. They can treat other people however they want because they're so much better. Why do people steal? Well, it's because they think they're amazing and they, they deserve everything and they're going to get what they deserve, what they want, regardless of what it means to hurt other people. That's kind of been the traditional historical view of why there's bad people doing bad things in societies. But then about 200 years ago, in modern culture, we have flipped the diagnosis. We've now said rather than this overly high view of self being the cause of all evil. It's this overly low view of self. And now the problem we say with all, all things in society is low self-esteem. 
And so, you know, then the, now the thing is, why are people abusive and why are they cruel? Well, it's because they feel really bad about themselves. And by hurting others, they're trying to feel more powerful. They're trying to feel better about themselves by making other people feel worse. Well, why do people steal? Well, it's because they think having other things, nicer things, is going to give them more value and more worth. And so we've kind of flipped the script and said, now it's low self-esteem that is the problem. And it's so weird how our society, if you really think about it, has arranged itself about trying to treat this issue of low self-esteem. I mean, every corner of our society is this now. Good for you. You are awesome. You can't do anything wrong. You are amazing just the way you are. I mean, we hand out trophies for nothing. You know, we hand out, uh, you know, we got to give, tell, tell Johnny he's great at baseball because heaven forbid he realizes he's terrible because if he thinks he's terrible at baseball, even though he really is, he might grow up and be a murderer or something. And so we got to just pat everybody on the back. And, and so our school systems, and I'm not knocking school systems for doing this. I'm, it, there's, to some extent, this is good. But, you know, along with math and reading and stuff, we're also, you know, telling everybody that they're special and that they're amazing. And there is part of that. But our whole society is arranging itself about making everybody feel better about themselves because we're convinced that that is the problem with society when historically speaking, the diagnosis has been completely backwards. Now, what's interesting, what's interesting is that we think high self-esteem and low self-esteem are opposite things right? You have too big a view of yourself or too small a view of yourself. But the reality is those are simply two different symptoms of the same disease, self-obsession. And when you think about it, what's the prideful person thinking? I am awesome. I am great. I'm so important. I'm so valuable. I'm so incredibly good looking. I, 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 I. That's what the prideful person thinks. What about the person with low self-esteem? I'm no good. I'm unlovable, I'm worthless, I'm not valuable, I don't add anything to the world, I, 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 I. It's, it, it, it's, um, it's painful, but it's still a manifestation of the same thing, self-obsession. We are obsessed with ourselves, and you might not put it that way, but the reality is true. Most of us have at least one area of our life where we can't get past ourselves, and it is killing us. It is killing our lives. And so the solution to this self-focus, self-obsession is not knocking us down a peg and making us all feel bad about ourselves, because that, is, again, is just a different version of me-focused living. The real answer is what the Bible calls humility. And in our world, we think low self-esteem and humility are, are the same thing, but, but biblical humility simply means that we live our life more outward than inward, that we are more concerned with other people than ourselves. We are, we are an outward-focused individual, and that is not always easy because our natural direction is navel-gazing. Our natural look into the world is, what about me? What am I going to do? What do I like? What do I want to happen? And so, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible or if you want to follow along on the screen, you can. Um, it's going to be in, I think, page 980 or 981 in your Bibles there, in the Pew Bibles, if that's what you're using. And this verse, if, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably come across this in a devotion or something. Philippians chapter 2 gives us the quintessential example of humility, which is Jesus. It, lines, it, it sets Jesus up before us as the perfect example of biblical humility. And 
I wanted to start here this week because, I mean, you can't go wrong when you start with Jesus, right? Because um, Jesus doesn't struggle with these two issues, this self-focused, self-obsessed thing that we get so hung up on. And so as we get into Philippians 2, we're going to look at and discover what humility, biblical humility, is really all about. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, we'll start with verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we get this first hint of biblical humility, and it's this. Others before me. Others before me. Again, not that they're more valuable. It says to treat other people as if they're more significant. Not more valuable, but as if their needs on some level should come before your needs. As if their concerns should come before your concerns. It's an outward focus. It's not a matter of who's awesome, who's great, who's not awesome, who's got no talent. It's, none of, it's not a contest in that sense. It's simply you being more concerned about others than yourself. You see, selfish ambition, which he tells us to steer clear from, it's, it's when you take advantage of situations and people to get what you want. We, we put that aside with biblical humility because, again, it's not what I want. It's about what is best for other people. Humility is not about me getting ahead or feeling better about myself. In fact, it's not inward at all. It's outward focused. He goes on in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though, so this is where we start getting compared, like Jesus is getting held up as our ultimate example of humility. So G, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When it says Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped, what it's saying is that even though Jesus was God and was truly more important than all of us, teeny tiny little insignificant humans, he was truly more important than every single one of us. He didn't see his status as something that he should hold on to and be used as an excuse to do what he wanted over what was best for us. He didn't use his, his status as God as an excuse to not help people. He didn't say, well, I'm God and I'm perfect and I didn't make your little sinful mess down there, you tiny little peons, so deal with your own junk. He didn't say that. He cared for us and he served us. He emptied himself is what it says. And he took, took on the nature of a servant. Again, it doesn't say that Jesus said he was nothing. It doesn't say that his value was there. It says he acted the role of a servant. He took the role of a servant putting others before himself. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only did Jesus put people before himself, but he also put the will of God before his own will. It says he became obedient. This is where he's not, he's not thinking about humans anymore. He's obedient. Who was he obedient to? God the Father. You see, God instructed him to go to the cross, to die on the cross for the sins of all of humanity. And when we look in the, the Gospels, which are the four Jesus-focused biographies that we have in the New Testament, when you look at those, there's a story of Jesus. Right before he goes to the cross, he goes and prays in a garden, and he actually prays. And this is one of the most amazing 
amazingly revealing verses about his humility is it says he prayed, Father, if there's any way, any way that, that we can save people without me having to die on a cross and go through all this horrible stuff, let's do that. He really didn't want to go to the cross. He was scared. He was anxious of the agony that he was about to go through. And he prays, if there's any way I can get out of this, that's the road I want to take. But not my will, Father, but yours. And he humbly was obedient to the Father, which gives us the second idea behind biblical humility, which is God before me. You see, so often, most of us, we can't get around to what God wants for our life because we're too busy worried about what we want for our lives. We're too busy focusing on what I want, what I think my life should be. Do you know how many people who, who come to church, who, who, who attend on a semi-regular basis, and, you know, we can all look, look the same in here. We can all act nice and play the part and look like we're good, nice, faithful Christ followers when we're here. But then you leave and you have six days of the week where your life doesn't look any different from somebody who doesn't follow Christ. Your life doesn't look influenced by Jesus in any stretch of the imagination. Why? Because you are wanting to do what you want to do. You want to live your way. You don't want to be changed. You're not concerned about the work Christ is trying to do in your life and in your heart. You are worried about you. That's self-focused. It's one of the biggest reasons why we can't have a spiritual breakthrough in our lives because we can't get over ourselves. And so Jesus says, God's will before me. And so the only way Jesus was able to faithfully make it to the cross was for him to look and focus on everybody but himself. He had to look outward. He thought about the perfect plan that God the Father had been unfolding and building toward for centuries. We get hints of Jesus in Genesis. At the very creation of all things, we start getting whispers of Jesus in the Bible. So for centuries, God is building towards the cross, knowing that the culmination of his plan of salvation was Christ on the cross. And Jesus obeyed and submitted himself to God's perfect, beautiful will. And he thought of you, and he thought of me, and he thought of how lost we were in our sin. Because us in our sin and our sinful nature, we're stuck. You can read all the self-help books you want, but it's not going to really allow you to change who you are. We are stuck in a sinful nature, and without his help, that's where we stay. And he thought about how helpless we were. Even though it was kind of a self-created mess, he still had compassion for us in our lost ways, and he thought about how we were destined to hell unless he intervened. And so Jesus' focus on the cross was... Not himself, not about what was best for him because he did the opposite of what was best for him. If you understand what Jesus went through when he was beaten before the cross and how, what goes on in your body when you are crucified, if you know even a little bit about that, you know his focus was not selfish, even a little bit. It was outward at everybody else. And in going to the cross, he became our ultimate example of what it means to be humble. God before me, others before me. Not that we don't matter Okay, that's not what it's saying. It's not the saying that humility means we're less valuable than the people that we're focusing on. It just means that when we focus on ourselves, we're going to limit what God does in us and through us. And you will never live a life of meaning, true, true meaning, true accomplishment and purpose for God's glory until you get over yourself. Because, you know, I was thinking this week, there's, there's times in our life where we will see somebody who's hurting or you know, somebody will mention, oh, this person needs this, or you'll see somebody who could need a bill paid or something, and we'll say things like, I'll pray for you, or we'll give them a little bit just to ease our conscience. 
when in reality we could probably help significantly in a lot of those cases, either through giving or through just getting out there and, and helping, taking meals, checking on somebody regularly. We will do the minimum because we don't really want things to interfere with our lives. We'll do things like that. And that gets in the way of us living a purposeful meaningful life like God wants for that because we're self-focused. You will never be able to truly live at peace with the people around you in your life until you get over yourself because you're going to fight and you're going to bicker and you're going to argue mainly because you want to get your way. It's just this amazingly broad, dangerous thing being self-obsessed. It just affects every area of your life. And so I wanted to start the year off talking about this because um, there's, there's really no greater danger, I don't feel like, in most of our lives than this danger of self-obsession. And there's no greater ability for you to thrive spiritually, to thrive relationally, to live as the, the man or woman that God created you to be than when you get past you. And so, um, as we go through this series in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look exactly at the pain and struggle that comes into your life by being self-focused. Um, we're going to see what actual self-forgetfulness looks like. Because that's a good, it doesn't mean you're, you don't count. It's just you're so outward focused that you aren't the concern of your life anymore. You aren't the main focus of your life anymore. And self-forgetfulness is a beautiful thing. And then we're going to learn exactly how we can take this self-forgetfulness and be free of ourselves and live joyful, fruitful, peaceful lives in Christ with outward-focused humility. So I'm excited about it. Um, it's not super pleasant to talk about because I love me. And chances are, you love you. And so there's going to be a little bit of pain and a little bit of struggle and a little bit of a, an abrasiveness that goes along with this series. But um, sometimes the junk is so stuck on us that you've got to scrape a little bit to get it off. And I, I think this could be one of those times, but I think it'll be, you'll be blessed by doing the hard work of getting past you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for these lessons of true humility. Um, you're not trying to make us feel bad about ourselves, to, to tell us we have no value. That's not humility, because we have value. You made us. You care about us. You decided that we needed to exist. That gives our lives value. That gives our lives meaning. And so this isn't about stripping value away from people. It's not about just building ourselves up and telling us that we're awesome even though we haven't done anything to earn the title of being awesome. No, it's about settling into the truth that you love us, you made us, we have value through you, and to move past that to be the people that you've made us to be, to be outward focused, to focus on your will, what you want to do, what you want us to accomplish, and to focus on the needs and, and the well-being of others around us. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the fruit that would be born here in this church by a hundred people getting over themselves. By a hundred people putting themselves on the back burner so that your will could be first and foremost. So that serving others, caring for others would be the first desire in our hearts not getting what we want, not having our days interrupted, not, not worrying about all the things that we want to do and we want to accomplish and how other people are looking at us or any of that. But when we can focus truly on what you've put us here to be, like Christ, outward focused. So help us, Father, as we start this year and start this journey of 
self-forgetfulness. Help us to be free of ourselves. Help us to f- be, be free of, of the selfishness and the pride and the obsession that, that just consumes so much of our thoughts so that we can experience the joy and freedom of following your path, Christ's path. So thank you again for freedom and self-forgetfulness. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.